Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Samaritan Ministries offers a biblical solution to healthcare, connecting you to other Christians who will support you spiritually and financially when you experience a medical need. Learn more at SamaritanMinistries.org. Our sponsor for this episode is Plan to Eat. Make sure you check out their app today or visit their website. And Savvy Sauce listeners get a 60-day free trial that requires no payment information when they visit plantoeat.com slash savvy. Rachel Cruz is our guest today. You may recognize her from her longtime presence online teaching about all things related to finances. She's going to give us a quick peek into her parenting as it relates to training kids with financial wisdom. And she's going to share more of the root issue behind all financial decisions. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Rachel. Thank you so much, Laura. Thanks for having me on. Well, we got to start here. What was it like to hate budgets as you grew up Dave Ramsey's daughter? (laughs) Well, I think a lot of people assume that, you know, growing up as Dave Ramsey's kid, that we had like mutual fund birthday parties and had budget camps every summer. And it was like this hardcore money household. But thankfully, that was not the case. Mom and dad were, were very good at teaching us how money works, but they weren't overly legalistic, if you will. So the fact that I hated budgets, it wasn't an absolutely terrible thing. I still had to do one and understand like, okay, this is this is how you control your money. This is how you tell your money where to go and all of that. And for that, I really was thankful because I'm not naturally good at details. I didn't care to budget. I just wanted to spend and enjoy. And I, I finally started to see that a budget doesn't limit your freedom. A budget gives you freedom. It gives you permission to spend money on things that you want and things that you value. And so I really uh, took that to heart probably a few months after I got married uh, in my early 20s. And I was like, okay, this is good. This budgeting thing is good. So now I actually, I love a budget because it shows me how much I can spend. (laughs) Well, and what has your financial journey looked like since that time? Yeah, I mean, it, it has changed a little bit. I mean, my the principles are still the same. And uh, when Winston and I got married about 10 years ago, yeah, we started off on, on a great foot financially. He really didn't come into the marriage with, with debt and I didn't have debt. And so that was a huge part of us being able to win faster, which I'm so thankful for. And something we teach couples all the time to, to get out of debt so that your income can be used, that you can give it away, that you can use it to build wealth and use it for your family. Uh, and so we, we've been doing that and it's been, it's been exciting. And, you know, we still have our, our ups and our downs for sure. We're still human, but the, the budget really has been the thing that's kind of kept, kept it going and kept it in control and not feel like this absolute crazy show. Well, and then just on a personal note, I'm wondering, did Winston follow the baby steps that your dad had laid out before you two met? Uh, that's funny. No, he didn't. Actually, he had never really heard of Dave Ramsey uh, when we started dating in college and all that. So, um, yeah, he had, he had a couple of things that he was like, oh, yeah, I have a credit card. Like, no big deal. Like, you know, it was just the, the things that probably average Americans do and have with their money that don't follow our plan. But uh, yeah, he learns probably relatively fast because I was pretty passionate about it, about kind of where I stood with everything. And he was like, yeah, it makes sense. So sure. Like he, it was not, um, thankfully this major, 
convincing or anything. He uh, he was pretty on board. And he's a natural saver. So like this was like all up his alley. He was like, oh, this is great. I love it. I love having saved money. So let's do it. <laughs> well, that's awesome because there often are couples where there's one saver and one spender. And it yes. sounds like that's true for you two and you've come together. But I just love one of the quotes. I think it was from one of your books where you say, a budget gives you permission to spend without guilt. And I know my husband and I find that to be so true. And in general, your teaching just leads to freedom. So will you elaborate on your three-step process for financial freedom in our minds? Yeah, we talk about the the tactical side of money so many times, you know, getting out of debt and budgeting and saving, investing. But the the heart issue, the mind issue, I mean, these are these are big topics that you really have to to come around. And I think one of the ultimate things to find in life that helps you win over the long term is contentment. And contentment is a word that's thrown around a lot. I think it can be hard to achieve. So I did kind of figure out that three step process to ultimately get to contentment. And so you first have to start with gratitude just being grateful and put things in place, patterns in place that allow that gratitude to come out. Whether it's a list you make every day, it's something that you say to your spouse, maybe every day you just say one or two things you're grateful for them, but just practicing gratitude is huge because once you're grateful for something and grateful for your life, you can transition into humility really fast. And humility, C.S. Lewis says, that is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And so when you're grateful for your life and you're able to be humble and serve and outpour, then contentment is the natural next step. And contentment, it's not complacency. It's not laziness. Contentment really is at this place where you're just at peace with where you are in life and what you have, knowing that stuff is not going to create joy in your life. It can be fun, but it's not the end-all be-all. And so that contentment piece is key because I just find people... They're willing to sacrifice their lifestyle to get out of debt when they're content. They're able to say no to stuff and save when they're content. Content people just, they win faster financially. And it's a big heart issue that I think is really important, especially in today's world. That's really interesting. I kind of want to pause here because you've even taught that income doesn't really affect the people who choose to go into debt, that it does begin with more of a heart issue. And so do you have any personal struggles of contentment that you can share and how you've applied this three-step process to enjoy the contentment? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have to practice this oh, sometimes on a daily basis. Yeah, for me, my downfall um, is always just like I, I'm a spender at heart. I love spending money. And I can get in that rat race of just thinking, Oh, I mean, I'll even tell myself sometimes, which I hate, but I'll like be online looking at something. I'm like, oh, oh, I really want that. And in my head and in my spirit, I'm like, mm, that's going to like satisfy this itch that I have. You know, I'm going to scratch this itch and buy this shirt that's 50% off, but I'm going to get it in the mail in a few days. And it's like this adrenaline, exciting thinking that, okay, yeah, this will satisfy me. I mean, and I know, I know in my brain, this, no, it's not going to scratch that itch, Rachel. No, there's deeper issues there that you're just trying to fulfill for buying the silly shirt that, that's online, you know, that has this nice sale or something. And so, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I see that stuff all the time. And even social media, seeing people that I know, some people I don't even know, I've never met before that I follow and seeing their life and thinking, wow, you know, they they have it all together. Oh, and I, and I can start to go in that cycle too. And the mom guilt comes in, are they a better mom than me? Or wow, their, their stuff is taking off more than mine. I mean, you can get in this cycle of comparison 
uh, which eats away at contentment. And so, yeah, I always have to check myself. And again, starting with that gratitude place. And I find myself doing that. I'm like, okay, just be grateful for what you have, Rachel. Like be here and be satisfied and be grateful. So that's a, it's a for sure a journey for me. And now a brief message from our sponsor. Samaritan Ministries connects Christians from across the nation who care for one another's medical needs without the use of insurance. Each month, members send their financial gift to a member with a need, pray, and send a note of encouragement, all while reflecting God's love and care. As a healthcare sharing ministry, there is no network, so you have the freedom to choose the doctor, hospital, and pharmacy that works best for you and your family. And Samaritan provides resources that can help you choose a provider, price medical procedures, and get medical advice before you visit the doctor. New members are always welcome, and you can join today. When the body of Christ comes together to pray, encourage, and provide for one another, burdens are lifted and God is glorified. This applies to all areas of life, including healthcare. Learn more at SamaritanMinistries.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. I am so grateful for our sponsor, Plan to Eat. I have personally subscribed to their app for months, and I am pleased with their offerings and their customer service. The team has been helpful, responsive, and very kind. I've never experienced an app quite like this one. The founders say, we believe our physical and emotional health is directly tied to what we eat. Plan to Eat was born from our desire to eat real food, great food, prepared at home together as a family. Our hope is that Plan to Eat will be a tool to help you prepare delicious, wholesome food that nourishes both body and soul. So basically, Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website. Then you can create a meal plan around your schedule and their software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. Plan to Eat is a subscription service that offers monthly and yearly options for $4.95 a month or $39 a year, which comes out to about 75 cents a week. And even better, Savvy Sauce listeners get a 60-day free trial requiring no payment information when they visit plantoeat.com savvy. Again, visit plantoeat.com savvy for your free 60-day trial. I hope you check out Plan to Eat today. Switching gears here, what tips do you have for married couples so that they can be on the same page with their finances? Yeah, this is a very uh, key component, I think, to winning with money when you're married is to to work together and be a team. And you can do that a couple of ways. I think getting on the same page with your money, a budget, doing the budget together, agreeing where your money's going reveals so much more than just where your money's going. I mean, it really reveals your goals. It reveals your dreams. It reveals your fears. And so working together as a team is very, very crucial by doing that budget together. Combine all your accounts. If you still have separate checking accounts, combine them. Work as one. Uh, That's the one piece of advice people just are not happy with me that I give. A lot of people are like, no, they need to be separate. You're still an individual and all this. And I'm like, yes, you are still an individual. But when you're married, you say one in every aspect of your marriage, including your money. And so coming together and combining those accounts is key. And then I think creating long-term goals together. Find something that you guys are working towards because it just kind of keeps you motivated in this process. It can be 
that you want to get out of debt together. Maybe it's that you want to save X amount of money. Maybe it's you want to pay for your kid's college. Maybe it's you want to move school districts and be in a different county. I mean, whatever it is, have those dreams, those goals long-term together that you can work to as a team. Well, and then ideally, we would be financially fit ourselves as parents before we attempt to train our kids in this area. But certainly, there's so much grace for this on-the-job learning that each of us experience. And I would love to know how you and Winston are intentionally training your own children about money. Yes. So we have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and an eight-month-old. And so the five-year-old is the one that we're we're working with right now. Caroline, the three-year-old, yeah, she's three. And you can start then. Honestly, we probably just like we have a lot going on. So Caroline's watching her sister a lot. But with Amelia, you know, we're starting to teach her that money comes from work. She's getting more responsibilities around the house and helping pay for those things and showing her, you know, what things cost and starting to really show her what it looks like to give and save and spend and why we do the things that we do. And, you know, we'll have those conversations with her and um, make her do a couple of things. But even just two nights ago, my husband was just kind of like, oh, it like filled my heart and made us kind of giggle at the same time. But she made a comment about something she got as a birthday gift recently and she opened it out of the box. Finally, it had been a little while and the toy came out of the box and she made the comment. She was like, oh, that is just not what I was expecting. <laughs> and I was like, what? And so, you know, we kind of walked out. I was like, well, Amelia, listen, sometimes, yeah, life is not what we expect. And it's okay to be kind of sad that you were thinking it was one thing and it's not. But listen, we're going to be grateful. Like, we're going to be grateful for this. And if you want a different kind of this toy, like maybe we can save up and pay for it. It was this whole conversation back and forth. And, and she said, yeah, well, we'll have to go to work because you and daddy go to work to help people that don't have houses and food and water. And I was like, oh, wow, like she's three years old, but she understands we ultimately go to work to help people. Obviously, I help in the money space, but we make money and in turn, we give it back and we give to people that need it. And so it just was one of those moments as a parent, you think you're speaking this crazy language, but they get it. Like your kids are getting it. They can connect the dots. You know, I think some people think, oh, they're still a little too young for this subject. And I'm like, no, like dive in and talk about it and show them how money works in a real life example. So it sounds like you're prioritizing just open dialogue with kids when they're age appropriate, and then also maybe teaching that work equals pay at the end, so paying them on commission. And it sounds like a heart attitude of gratitude, but is there anything else that you prioritize teaching them at that age or even as they get a little bit older? That's the basics of it. I mean, when they when they get older, I really will probably push more to her giving that some of that money, saving some of that money and spending that money, kind of that little budget that you can do with kids and, and helping her learn to do all three well. But we're not doing that right now at five. It's still kind of in the in the beginning stages. I love that. And as you think about your kids when they're ready to launch, what are some of the financial end goals or something that you guys would consider a win? I would love for them to live debt free. I would love for them to be generous givers. I would love for them to be able to do the things that God's called them to do in their life. And money is just a tool that helps them do that. And and I think helping them learn the heart position of money, meaning that they are managers for what God has given us. God has owns it all and we are managing this for him and kind of pulling them up to that to that higher calling. Is there any scripture that keeps you focused on your financial goals as a family? 
probably in First Timothy when it says godliness with contentment is great gain. We kind of talked about contentment earlier, but that's a big one for me. It's just knowing like, man, when you have godliness paired with contentment, you can gain a lot in this world because there's not much the world can offer that can allow what God can fill. So that's a big one for me. And then on the flip side, I think sometimes it's easier to learn for some people through the opposite. And so what are some of the pitfalls that you and Winston want to avoid in teaching your children about finances? I never want them to get the picture from us that stuff is going to make them happy. And I talk a lot about that. It's okay to have nice stuff, but don't let your nice stuff have you. And it can have you by your identity, your happiness, everything we just talked about, being wrapped up in just tangible stuff, thinking, oh, if I could just have that purse, I'd be happy. If I could just have this, I'd be happy. And really, really, really not letting that be the priority is big. And then also your stuff can have you when you go into debt for it. So that's a pitfall that we are avoiding with our kids and talking about the dangers of debt and showing them, you know, in scripture, there's nothing good said about debt. And I don't think it's a sin. I don't think it's a salvation issue. So if you're a listener, you know, has student loan debt. I'm like, no, you're okay. You're okay. You're going to go to heaven. You know, it's not a salvation issue, but it can be a very dangerous game to play. And so we just avoid it at all costs. And I want to teach my kids that as well. Hi, friends. You've heard us request you take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. And I want to give you a quick explanation of why this is important. If you've enjoyed the content this far on the Savvy Sauce, this is a simple way to express your gratitude. When you give us a five-star rating and written review, it helps us gain more listeners, which in turn leads to better guests and more sponsors who make the future of the Savvy Sauce possible. Your ratings and reviews have already helped us get downloaded in all 50 United States and over 100 countries around the world. Thank you for taking a moment to help us out so we can grow together and share the good news with every country around the world. Clearly, you had some great training growing up. So thinking back to yourself as a kid, now that you're an adult and you can reflect on this, what do you think are some of the biggest lessons you learned about finances just from witnessing your parents? They said no to themselves a lot in order to say yes to other things. And it was kind of this trade-off. And I just think it's true today. I think that there's things that you want Sometimes you can just outright buy it and it's fine. Or maybe you say no, even though you can afford it and you want it to say yes to something else that that's a better priority. And that was that was a big thing that I saw them do. And I think it just shows a lot of self-discipline, a lot of wisdom. So that was that was one thing I saw. I saw them being generous a lot, which is something that I, I've really taken on that I really appreciate. And then they practice what they preach. I mean, I think more is caught than taught. And parents, your kids are watching you. So if you're preaching one thing and doing another, that's what's known as a hypocrite, right? Like, I'm like, you have to be consistent in your words and your actions. And no one's perfect. We're not perfect at this. We need grace for sure. But the overall big value systems of money as you're teaching your kids, I would really say that following it with the actions is extremely important. And that's going to have a great influence on your children. I want to zero in on that word generosity. And so when you say that you witness them being generous, do you have any practical ways that we could emulate that or specific instances that you can recall that really taught you about generosity? Yeah, so everything from when, you know, Christmas came around and we were giving gifts, bought gifts for kids, anything around that, to even, you know, we'd see a family at dinner and they would pay for their dinner and, you know, talk about it or they would leave a huge tip for 
the waiter that was working our table. So it was things like that, but they pointed out and they told us not in a bragging way, but I think just to allow us to know, you know, dad would say like, we've left a big tip. So let's go to the car and watch the window and see if you can see her reaction or his reaction. And uh, we get to experience the joy of giving. So they would do it in all different kinds of ways, big, big ways, and even just small, small ways, but it, it spoke volumes. That's really helpful to hear because I know a lot of times we focus on that scripture about one of your hands not knowing what the other is doing. And yet as parents, when we can talk about things and demonstrate it, we've seen that that's so powerful. And there's also scripture about letting your light shine before others so that they can see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. And so I feel like you just brought that to life. So thank you for sharing some personal examples. Yes. What are some of the best practices you recommend for all parents? You know, teaching your kids the tangible aspects of money is big. And then also getting to a place where where you can pass on a legacy to them. But, you know, that maybe being that you're helping to pay for college if they're, if you're able to do that. Or maybe it's in ways that you you leave them something from your legacy that then they pass on to their children. I mean, scripture says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I think that inheritance can be tangible like money. I think it can be spirituality. I think it it plays into so many ways, taking that seriously and saying, you know what, if we build wealth on this side of us and we're going to teach our kids how to pass that down and to handle that well so that they can help others and be tremendously generous is a huge goal. And do you have just a quick overview of a few practical tips for parents listening if they want to train kids, let's just say generally at like 5, 10, and 15, what would your tips be for those ages? Yes, I would say get a chore chart and write down the chores you want them to do around the house and then pay them. Pay them once a week and say, okay, this is payday. Let's look to see what chores you've done. And have three little envelopes, give, save, and spend. And as you pay them, let them divide it up into those three areas. And then I would say the older ones, you know, the 15-ish and older, get a student checking account at the bank and teach them how a debit card works, what it looks like to pay for things online. I used to say write checks. You probably could still teach them to write checks. It's just not as prominent these days. But uh, teaching them how to, to balance a bank statement and to budget for things that they want. And mom and dad did this. They put a certain amount of money at the beginning of the month in this checking account for me. And they did it for my older sister as well and my younger brother. And we were in charge of managing that account. And if we wanted more money, we had to go get a job and work and make more money and put it in this account. But we were never allowed to ask them for money. So if we wanted to go to the movies with friends or we wanted to buy something at the mall, we couldn't ask them for like a $20 bill. It had to come out of this account that we've been managing. And we had to make decisions even as teenagers of, okay, I can go out to use my friends here, but that means I won't have money to go to a movie next weekend. What do I want to do? And, you know, you kind of have to make these these decisions as a teen. And that was really, really helpful. I love that idea because then you can make the $50 mistake rather than the 5000 or $50,000 mistake later on. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of mistakes that can happen under your roof that won't damage them long-term financially versus, yeah, the first time they ever handle money, they make a mistake on a car lot and it's a $30,000 mistake. Exactly. Well, I love asking successful women like yourself this question. Just out of curiosity, what has God taught you about simultaneously living into both of these precious roles of career and motherhood? 
Yes, it's been hard, but I feel like I've gotten in a pretty good groove of it. I have learned that I can't do everything. And so I have learned to outsource what I can outsource and not have guilt or shame about that. I have put in our budget certain things. We've taken things out of the budget in order to have someone help clean the house every other week, which has been huge so that I'm not doing it on the weekends. Uh, we're not spending family time. That shipped is the grocery delivery service. I've invested in that app because now I don't have to go to the grocery. I pay a little bit more for the groceries to be delivered. But again, I can outsource that, but I can't outsource being a mom and I can't outsource my love and I can't outsource the times that I'm home with them and present with them. So that's one thing I've learned. I've also learned that having life balance is not about being 50-50, but it's about being 100% present. My friend Christy Wright always says that. And I love that quote because it allows me to be at work and be using the gifts that God's given me. And I'm present here. When I'm at work, I am doing my work as unto the Lord. Like I, I am focused. I'm here. But when I'm home, I'm mom. And I try not to keep my phone with me. I, I say, you know what? I'll check, I'll check email when they go to bed, but I'm here with my kids. And I've also learned that there's seasons. There are seasons of times you're able to, to do a little bit more hard driving at work. And there's times that you need to be a little bit more at home. And so I'm even shifting in that. I have three kids now, five and under, which is just, it's crazy and it's insane. And I love it. And, and even shifting to be home more with them uh, in this next season. And so that's something I've really felt God pull my heart toward and something that I'm being obedient in. And it's been a joy to be able to do that because I know, you know, in short five years, they're all going to be in school and I'm going to have the day to work even more, you know, when, when that season comes. So I've learned that things are seasonal and to listen to where the Spirit's guiding you. It's such a common struggle to, like you say, try and chase this elusive balance, which isn't really a realistic goal. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's, I know when people are like, oh, it's just life balance. I'm like, no, that doesn't exist. Like, as a whole person, you're not going to have the perfect amount of physical time every day and spiritual time and intellectual time and family time and social time and work time. Like, it's not going to be equally balanced. It's very seasonal. And the hard thing is, I think people make the mistake that over the course of their life, their life is unbalanced. And they focus all their time at work and neglect their family. And they have these grown kids now that don't even have a relationship with them. Or you can pick any part of who we are as, as people. And if you focus on one thing for too long over the too much time, other things start to suffer. And so I think looking at yourself as a whole person over the course of your life is really key. And I love that you just boil that down to keeping in step with the spirit, because I'm sure that God does not have a cookie cutter answer for all of us on how much to pour into each role. But now just for fun, as it relates to personal development, what are you currently reading, talking about and listening to? Well, okay, so Lord, don't judge me on this, but I have... I have fallen in love with like thriller type novels, like my books. I love like a murder mystery. So I just finished one of those and it was great. At the same time, I'm doing a Bible study with some girls in my neighborhood, Seamless by Angie Smith. And that's been excellent. My listening, honestly, has been just music on the radio. I'm kind of like old school in that way that if I'm driving or something, I'm like, I just need a little bit of music in the background uh, and that's good. But if I, if I get a good sermon or something sent to me, podcast, that's usually what I'll listen to. Love it. And Rachel, just in general, you're so fun and helpful to learn from. So where can listeners go to find you online? Thank you. Um, yeah, com has a lot of resources. I have a YouTube show and also that we put on Facebook, as well as a podcast and a few books out wherever books are sold. Great. We will link to all of that in our show notes and on our resources tab of our website. 
and we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge, and we want to know how to apply some beneficial best practices from your life. So as my final question for you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? Uh, my savvy sauce is probably say no to debt because <laughs> it steals your joy and it steals your paycheck. Rachel, you are enthusiastic, humble, and just a wealth of knowledge and advice. Thank you for generously sharing all of your savvy ways with us today. It was a blast to have you as my guest. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from Him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way I tell you, There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.